Speaking of girly things, I don't know if you guys know this about me, but in elementary school, I was a total tomboy. Did you guys know that? Maybe not. Maybe I've told you this. Maybe I'm not. Hey, girls in the back, let's come on over. Come on over. Come on. We got some seats over here. Yes. Thank you. Well, that, that's not the front. How about we move a little bit more? Thank you. Thank you. To the front you come. Thank you very much. Um, yes, in elementary school, I was a total tomboy. I don't know if I've told you guys this before, but I did not like girly girly kind of things. I didn't like pink, didn't like sparkles. I said I would never wear makeup, not even on my wedding day. I would never wear it, which obviously did not happen. Um, but I was a total tomboy gro growing up. I love sports. You know, obviously, you know, God made me to be a female, so I wasn't trying to change anything or say anything indifferent to that. But I just like more sporty things, tomboyish. That was, that was kind of how I was. Um, and bottom line was I just, I just didn't really care. It didn't really matter. Um, you know, nobody was telling me that I had to curl my hair or wear makeup or any of those types of things. So kind of just did the tomboy life, right? But a change happened in junior high. And you know what that change was? There was a boy. And this boy liked me. And I liked this boy too. And it was kind of like this exciting thing. Um, because... For once, I started thinking about what I was wearing, <laughs> and I took a little bit more care and um, even just time into what I was wearing because this guy cared about me. This guy liked me. I like this guy. We kind of had this thing going, and obviously, we're like, you know, 12, 13 years old, so nothing happened. I don't even know where he is today, to be honest, but... Um, I cared a lot more about what I was wearing. And that's because I wanted to impress him. So, you know, if he liked wavy hair on me, dude, my hair's gonna be wavy. That's, that's, that's my hair, that's what I'm doing. Um, if he liked that blue dress that I wore last week, make sure it's washed. We're wearing it next week, it's happening, right? I was, I was caring so much more, giving more detail and thought as to how I was gonna look in front of him because I liked him. He cared about me, I cared about him. And if some guy in junior high can impact the way that we take thought or care or attention to the way we prep ourselves, the way we look, how much more, follow along with me, <laughs> to a much greater extent, if God says that he cares about us and we should live this sort of way. Okay, it's one thing if a guy likes you, right? This guy cares about you, likes you to wear these certain things, sure. But if God cares about you, if God says, I want you to do this, I want you to say this, I want you to live this way, how much more should we actually care about that? Take careful thought into how God wants us to live. And Proverbs is going to tell us something that God cares a lot about. God cares a lot about this thing. He cares about how we do it, who we do it with, all sorts of types of things. And that's friendship. God cares about friendship. And so should you. God cares about the people that are in your life, your friend group. God actually has things to say about that in his word. And so tonight we're going to look at five Proverbs that talk about friendship. Five Proverbs that teach us how God wants us to go about friendships. And so we're going to start with our first proverb, which is Proverbs 13.20. Proverbs 13.20. So grab your Bibles. We're kind of going to be bouncing all over the place. Like I said, five different Proverbs. So get ready with those Bibles. Um, and we'll start in Proverbs 13.20. So Proverbs is written by this guy named King Solomon. He's King David's son. 
And this whole book is really encapsulated around wisdom, how to know wisdom, how to apply these things to your life, not just to be a smart person and not do anything with the knowledge that you've been given, but to live in a skillful way. And so Proverbs 13, 20, our first text, it starts with this. It says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so there's two different groups of people in this proverb. There's the wise people and there's the foolish people. The wise people and the foolish people. The wise people are the people who love God. The wise people are the people who care about instruction. When they're told to do something, they want to do it. They don't just um, say no when somebody gives them advice or take careful thought into thinking how they ought to live. They, they actually listen to instruction. They're teachable. They're humble people. Foolish person, on the other hand, not so teachable, not so humble. The foolish person loves himself. The foolish person really just loves himself. He cares more about what's in it for him. He doesn't really care about other people. He's more focused on himself. And uh, when it comes to people telling him what to do, surely he doesn't want to listen. He does not have a teachable attitude because he wants to live how he wants to live. And he wants to be whoever he wants to be. But from what we see in our text as Christians, we need to learn God's design for friendship. We need to learn God's design for friendship, how God wants us to be a friend. How does God want us to be a friend? We want to be the kind of friend that God wants us to be. Not just a friend, but who does God want us to be? What does friendship even mean? How did God design it? Well, the first way, if we want to learn to be a godly friend, the first way we need to do that is by point number one, getting godly friends. If you want to be a godly friend, first of all, you've got to have some godly friends. As the text says in Proverbs 13, 20, it says, whoever walks with the wise becomes wise, but the companion of fools will suffer harm. And so we see that the wise person, the godly person, they're wise. And part of that is that they associate themselves with the right kind of people. They're not just hanging around anybody, but they're careful about the people that they associate themselves with. My sophomore year of high school, I hated coffee. I was not a coffee fan. I don't know about you guys, if you like coffee, if you're a fan of coffee, but I was kind of that boba drinker. That was more what I was into. I liked the teas, I liked the boba, I liked the sweet stuff. If I was gonna get coffee, it was like a java chip frappuccino, you know what I mean? Which is, I don't even know if there's coffee in that. It's so, it's so sugary. Um, but I was not really a fan of coffee. Um, but my friends were. And my friends kind of started to get into these trends with these new coffee shops that were popping up around Orange County, like Hidden House Coffee and Portola Coffee and all these fun places, right? And they're posting about it. And so naturally, because these people are my friends um, and we're hanging out, um, we hang out at coffee shops. And next thing you know, they're ordering their coffee, they're doing their thing. And I'm like, yeah, you guys enjoy your stuff. You know, I'll, I'll get my tea, obviously. Um, but next thing you know, I'm trying their drinks. And I'm like, that's not bad. How about a mocha? Okay, how about a vanilla latte? Ooh, cappuccino, that kind of sounds good. And next thing you know, I didn't even mean to, but I'm drinking coffee, right? It just kind of happened. And that was because I was hanging out with coffee lovers, right? And if you're gonna hang around coffee lovers, the odds are you're gonna start to love coffee yourself. And in a more important way, um, in a more important sense, if you start to hang out with wise people, Bible says you're gonna start to be wise. You're going to start to be wise because we are influenced by the people that we surround ourselves with. Whether we 
try to or not. We are very influential people in the sense of we, we when people are around us, um, we start to act like them. We start to do things like them, whether we mean to or not. Um, and we got to make sure that those are things that are helpful and not harmful, things that are helping us and not harming us. And so godly friends, if we need to get godly friends, how do we find these godly friends? How do we even find these godly friends? Well, for one thing, godly people, there's a, there's a few different things that we can look out for, right? Godly people shouldn't be too hard to detect. And there's a few specific things that I want us to think through when trying to find those godly people. Um, first of all, godly people, they love God. <laughs> I know that's kind of a no, obviously. Um, but godly people, they love God, right? Think about the people that are godly in your life. They love reading God's word. They love praying to God. They love serving God's people. They love coming to church. They're not throwing up excuses for why they can't go to church, why they can't be here. They are all in because they love God. That's one thing. Another thing is that godly people love people. Godly people really love people. There's a difference between a godly person and a worldly person. There's a different kind of love there, right? We see that love in a Christian sense is deep, right? That we don't just love people to love people or to get something in return, but we love because of how God has loved us, right? And so godly people, they love people. They love people. Look out for those people that love people. Godly people, they also don't celebrate sin. They don't celebrate sin. If you're looking to have more godly friends, those people are not going to be rejoicing in sin. They're not laughing at those bad jokes at school. They're not laughing or taking part in the crude humor that people are saying. They're not dressing the way that the world is dressing. They're not talking disobediently or disrespectfully about other people, including their parents, teachers, whoever it is, right? They don't like to take part in sin, and they don't want you to sin either. These godly people should be influencing you in the right direction, in a godly direction. And lastly, godly people, they celebrate good. They celebrate good. Godly people rejoice with the truth. They rejoice in doing good. They're not happy about sinful things. They're happy when you do the right thing. You read your Bible, woohoo! That godly people person should be cheering you on. That's the kind of person you want to surround yourself with. Otherwise, if you hang around these fools, as the text says, you're gonna suffer harm. You're going to suffer harm. And the greatest kind of harm that you could suffer is ultimately sin. Ultimately, sin. If those foolish people that you're surrounding yourselves with lead you to sin, you put yourself in that place, right? You were hanging out with foolish people. What did you think? You were deceived into thinking it would be no big deal. And as 1 Corinthians 15.33 says, 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says these four words in the beginning that you need to pay close attention to. It says, do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. And obviously, lots of people are deceived by this. Otherwise, he wouldn't say it. You might think or justify hanging around non-Christians. Maybe some of your friends, closest friends, are non-Christians. And you might think to yourself, it's no big deal. I mean, yes, they cuss. Yes, they say bad things. Yes, they watch bad shows. Yes, they listen to bad music. Yes, they dress inappropriately. But... I'm not going to do that. What does the text say? Do not be deceived. You're going to be deceived 
if you start to justify those things in your mind. Instead, you need to get godly friends. Surround yourself with godly people. Next, if we want to be a godly friend, we actually have to talk to people. (laughs) Friendship involves some talking. And that's what our next text actually talks about. So turn over to Proverbs 18, 1 through 2. Proverbs 18, 1 through 2. And we'll see what the text says together. Just a couple pages over. Proverbs 18, 1 through 2 says, Whoever isolates himself seeks his own desire. He breaks out against all sound judgment. A fool takes no pleasure in understanding, but only in expressing his opinion. Proverbs is saying that the foolish person is the person that isolates himself. That's a fool. The person who would rather just be alone. They'd rather do their own thing. They'd rather not have to deal with people, talk to other people. They'd rather just scroll on Instagram, watch Netflix, binge watch their favorite show on there. Does this kind of sound familiar? Well, we can clearly take this warning, and we need to take this warning by point number two, not isolating. Don't isolate. If you want to be a godly friend, don't isolate. If there's anything that we've learned this year, it's that isolation is not good. Isolation is not good. It makes sense why the depression rates are skyrocketing. It makes sense why in 2020, the suicidal rates were skyrocketing. These things are heartbreaking. And why? Because we need people. We need people. We're made to have relationships with people. We're made to be in community and fellowship with people. That's how God designed us. But sometimes we can start to trick ourselves into thinking that being alone, it's not too bad. It's not that bad. I mean, if I'm in my room, I got my phone, I got my TV, Um, You know, I got social media, I got Netflix, I can just do my thing. This is no big deal, right? How bad is isolation? Well, the Proverbs warns us. It says that isolation leads to bad thinking. Isolation leads to bad thinking. And what is that kind of bad thinking? This is selfishness. Isolation leads to selfishness, ultimately. It leads to focusing so much on yourself that you're not even caring for other people. You're so self-consumed, you can't even take your eyes off your phone. You can't even take your eyes off your face. You're so consumed in what's best for you. And selfishness is only going to lead to more sin. It's only going to lead to more sin. The more that you focus on you and not other people, not serving other people, it's going to lead to lack of care for others, lack of love for others. How are you going to serve? How are you going to love? How are you going to do these things if you're not putting yourself out there? If you're not in in fellowship, if you're not in community with other people, you have to be with other people. And for some of you, this is why you isolate. Some of you guys purposefully isolate from other people because you want to be selfish. You want to focus on you. You'd rather not have to talk to that person that's sitting alone in the corner because that might be awkward because... I don't know if I'm super close with them. I don't, you know, know much about them. It might be really weird. Um, You might have all sorts of different excuses. You would rather people come up to you, right? You'd rather have people come up to you and ask you the questions. You'd rather have them start the conversation, take initiative. But this is selfish. You see the problem with this? The more that we isolate, the more that we focus on ourselves, the more that we're going to be selfish and it's going to lead to all sorts of different kinds of sin. And so what do we do about that? 
We need to stop isolating and we need to start connecting. Start connecting. If we're not connecting with people, tonight's the night to do that. Take an interest in somebody that you don't know. Take an interest in a person that's a visitor, that's never come before, that they're trying to make friends. They don't know who to talk to. Be that friend. Be that person to talk to them. In your conversations, are you asking your friends about them? Or are you just concerned about sharing your story, talking about your day, talking about what you went through? What do you really care about? You need to care about others. Be selfless in the topics of conversations that you have. Take an interest, even if it has nothing to do with you or you really don't like drawing or painting or whatever it is, right? Take an interest. That's a way that you can love people and stop isolating by investing, by connecting in other people. We have to choose to fight this temptation to be selfish. It's our natural bent. We want to be selfish, but we can't if we want to be a godly friend. Next, if we also want to be a godly friend, we need to look at this next text. We need to learn to love. And how we learn to love, Proverbs 17, 17, talks right about that. Go ahead and turn to Proverbs 17, 17. Should just be a page or two to the left. Proverbs 17, 17. It says, a friend loves at all times, and a brother is born for adversity. And so a friend loves at all times. This passage is saying that godly friends... They stick together. Godly friends are loyal to their friends. They're faithful friends. They love at all times, not just sometimes. They are there for their friends. They don't just bail. Whereas it says that a brother, like a sibling, who you would fight with pretty regularly if you're a normal person, <laughs> um, this person doesn't stick too close, right? They're born for adversity. There's clashing. There's, there's tension. There's difficulty. There's problems. If we want to be a godly friend, then we need to be loyal. And that's our third point. Be loyal. We have to be loyal to these friendships. This is one way that we can be a godly friend. And you may have heard that said that you don't get to choose your family. And it's totally true. You don't get to choose your family. You are in the family that you're in by the sovereignty of God, right? He's given you your parents, your siblings. You live where you live. You grew up where you grew up. You were born where you were born. You don't get to choose that, right? The interesting thing about that is that that's not how friendships work. So friendships where brothers and sisters and family, right? It's just how God made it. But friends, on the other hand, we get to choose our friends. Think about that that God may have placed you in your family and you're stuck with your siblings and yes, you're probably gonna fight. I get it. You still need to love them. But your friends, on the other hand, you get to choose your friends. How interesting is that? Think about that. You choose your friends and your friends choose you. And so, yes, there should be loyalty in family because your blood, they're your family, right? And you're supposed to love your family. But your friends, on the other hand, there isn't that blood relationship you have the choice to be loyal to them. You have the choice to love them. And are you a loyal friend? Are you that loyal friend? Think about that. With that text saying that we need to love at all times, that's what a real friend does. Are you a friend that loves at all times? Or are you a friend that bails, that's flaky with your friendships? Are you flaky with your relationships? Does this describe you? If your friend's or if people talk bad about your friends, do you say anything? 
Are you a loyal friend that you stand up for them? You say, no, that's my friend. Don't talk about them like that. Or do you allow the gossip to happen? Do you allow the slander to happen? Do you not say anything? Are you loyal? When your friends are going through a hard time, are you there with them? Do you stick with them? Do you find ways? How can I serve you? How can I love you? I'm going to be praying for you. What can I bring over? Are you loyal to those friends, sticking with them through good times and in bad times? You got to be a loyal friend if you want to be a godly friend. Can your friends count on you? If you say you're going to do something and you have a commitment, are you faithful to that commitment? Or do you just flake? Do you just bail? Sorry, something came up. Can't do it. What kind of a friend are you? In Proverbs 27, 9 through 10, Proverbs 27, 9 through 10, it says, oil and perfume make the heart glad. And the sweetness of a friend comes from his earnest counsel. Do not forsake your friend and your father's friend. And do not go to your brother's house in the day of your calamity. Better is a neighbor who is near than a brother who is far away. And so this text is saying that it's better to have a close friend, someone who's um, a friend that's close and far away. Maybe, you know, they're, they don't live with you in the same home. But it's better to have that close, accessible relationship with a friend than a brother who may live with you, but you fight all the time, right? You have lots of problems, lots of tension. There's a lot there. Close and loyal friendships are good. The Bible says these loyal friendships, if you are a loyal friend, if you are a faithful friend, that is a good thing. And so we should be. So start being loyal to your friendships. Start being loyal to those friendships. And realistically speaking, we know that our friends are going to fail us. And we're going to fail our friends. We're imperfect, imperfect people, right? We're sinful people. We're going to mess up. So what do we do when a friend sins against us? What are we supposed to do? Because it's going to happen, right? Us being imperfect people, what do we do? Well, that leads us to our next proverb, which is Proverbs 17.9. Proverbs 17.9. Just a little bit to the left there. It says, whoever covers an offense seeks love, but he who repeats a matter separates close friends. So these godly friends, these are people who forgive when others wrong them. They're quick to forgive when other people wrong them. They seek love by covering offenses. They're not repeating bad things that happen to them over and over again right? That friend hurt them. That friend said that bad thing. That friend really disappointed them or betrayed them. They're not repeating it over and over and reliving what happened in their mind. They're saying, no, I'm going to forget. I'm going to choose to forgive and forget them. And so if you want to be a godly friend, you need to, point number four, forgive fast. Forgive fast. A godly friend is a forgiving friend. A godly friend is not somebody who's tallying up how many times this person hurt me, how many times my friend hurt me, trying to get even. They owe me for what they did. We need to get even for the wrong that they did. And the only reason that they really can forgive is because they've been forgiven by God. That's the only reason that we truly can know how to forgive is if you have been forgiven by God. And if you want to be this godly friend, you got to forgive fast. You have to forgive fast. You can't hold on to anger. And so what are those real steps to real forgiveness? What are those steps? How do we actually forgive? Well, first of all, forgiving is not forgetting. Forgiving is not forgetting. But forgiving is choosing to forget. 
Forgiving is choosing to forget. It's more active than that. Because the temptation is going to be somebody wrongs you and you want to think about it and you want to reflect on it and you want to keep replaying in that, that in your mind and be angry and just stew on it. But forgiving is actively choosing. I'm not going to act as though that happened. I'm going to choose to live in such a way that it was like it never happened in the first place. They never wronged me in the first place. It's not holding on to their sin until they apologize. Real forgiveness doesn't need an apology. You should forgive in your heart immediately. Choose to forgive. It's willingly choosing to treat other people as though it never even happened. Because that's how God forgives us. When God forgives us for our sin, he says, as far as the east is from the west, so far as he removed his, our transgressions from us, right? And think about that. That means that God is actively choosing not to treat us how we deserve to be treated for our sin, right? Does God actually forget anything? No, he's God. He's all-knowing, right? He knows everything, but he chooses to forgive us when we confess and repent of our sin. Proverbs 19.11. Proverbs 19.11 says that good sense makes one slow to anger, and it is a glory to overlook an offense. What a good thing it is when we overlook offenses. What a glorious thing this text even says when we overlook offenses. It is such a good thing because the reality is friends are going to fail you and you're going to fail your friends, but you have to choose to forget fast. Forget fast. Don't hold on to sin. Choose to forget. Lastly, if we want to be a godly friend, get ready for some wounds. There's going to be some battles. There's going to be some scars. And in fact, our next passage actually says these wounds are a good thing. They should be faithful. They should be happening often. And if you have no idea what I'm talking about, or if you know exactly what I'm talking about, go to Proverbs 27. Proverbs 27, verse 5. We're going to look at verse 5. Proverbs 27, 5. And we'll look at both verses 5 and 6. It says, better is open rebuke than hidden love. Faithful are the wounds of a friend. Profuse are the kisses of an enemy. And so this passage is saying that godly friends, they, kind of, they, they wound each other. Godly friends wound each other. And is it just that friends are like getting in these, you know, match fights and beating each other up with boxing gloves? No, that's not what the text is saying. But it's saying that these friends correct each other. Godly friends correct each other. They are willing to have hard conversations with their friends because they love them. They're willing to correct their friends for their sin. If there's anything in their life, they're willing to have that awkward discussion because they love their friends. They love their friends. While the enemy, on the other hand, this text says, this enemy is just a flatterer. This enemy just wants to sound good. This enemy doesn't want to say the hard truths to their friends. They'd rather just have a good time. Have a fun conversation. You're great. You're perfect. Don't worry about it. No, everything's totally fine. You're perfect the way you are. This friend is just a flatterer, right? It's like throwing out these kisses left and right. That's kind of like what the text is saying, right? They're not willing to say these hard truths, but we have to be willing. So if we want to be a godly friend, point number five, we need to correct and be corrected. Correct and be corrected. Have you guys ever talked to somebody who totally has food in their teeth or something on their face? 
right? And the big question is always, should I say something? Oh, should I say something? And if I'm going to say something, what do I say? I don't want them to feel dumb. I don't want them to feel weird. This is just so awkward. This is, oh, but it's right there. It's right there. I can't not see it. Well, just a few weeks ago, the Favara's family invited over the pastors and the pastor's wives. And so we're having dinner, having a good time. I'm in this conversation with one of our pastors. And um, you know when you choke on food? Like sometimes you can just cough it off and then it's okay. But like when it's a full-blown choking attack and you cannot breathe, that, that's what happened. And so I'm in this conversation with one of these pastors and I just can't stop choking. And so I leave the room, you know, I'm hacking up, whatever. I'm not throwing up, just coughing, just to be clear. <laughs> but it was bad, it was bad. So I leave the room and then I come back to this conversation. So sorry, don't know what happened. I guess I was choking, um, that happened. Um, and this pastor looks at me and says, it's totally okay. It's totally okay. Um, but just so you know, there's something on your face. I was like, oh, okay. So you go, I go like this. He's like, oh, a little, a little further to the left. And so I'm okay. A little bit further left. Oh, it's, it's pretty in there. You a little, it's yeah. And so I trying and I'm like, what is this thing on my face? And so I get it and I look at my finger. You want to know what was on my face? From all the coughing and hacking when I was choking, there was a giant booger on my cheek. <laughs> and it, like, it was obvious that it was a booger. It was not like, oh, it could be food. No, it was embarrassing. Talk about embarrassing. But you know what? I was so grateful for that he pointed out the booger on my face. <laughs> I mean, seriously, it was, it must have been so embarrassing and hard for him to say that, but he said it. He was willing to point it out, and I'm so grateful that he did. Um, and sure, it was embarrassing. It was weird. But you know what would have been worse? If I was like, oh, yeah, I meant that. I, I wanted that there. Like, I like boogers on my face. <laughs> right? Like, that would be, be like, what? <laughs> what are you talking about? That's disgusting, right? It's obviously, it's obviously foolish. And it's foolish for us to not take correction, ladies. When somebody corrects us for sin, when there's something serious going on in our life and they say, hey, you need to look at this. Hey, there's a booger on your face. We need to take careful consideration. We need to think about that. We need to be willing to be teachable, teachable when people correct us. It's foolish not to accept correction because correction is a good thing. In Proverbs 28, 23, Proverbs 28, 23, it says, whoever rebukes a man will afterward find more favor than he who flatters with his tongue. And so think about your conversations with your friends. Think about those conversations. Are you helping your friends to be more godly or are you making it harder for them to be more godly? Do you make it easier to sin or do you make it harder for your friends to sin. How, what kind of a friend are you? If your friends, they're listening to bad music, bad movies, watching bad shows, wearing bad things, hanging around bad people, talking bad about their parents, do you correct them? Are you willing to correct them? Do you say anything about that? Or is it like, oh, that's awkward. I, I, hopefully they fix that. And maybe you are that friend. Maybe you are the friend that's listening to the bad music, that's watching the bad movies, that's dressing inappropriately, that's talking bad about your parents. Do you listen to correction? Are you willing to be corrected? Because correction is a good thing. We should be willing to be corrected. In Proverbs 15, 5, 
It says, a fool despises his father's instructions, but whoever heeds reproof is prudent. To be a godly friend, you have to be teachable. You have to be willing to listen to instruction, to correction. We need wisdom. We need God's wisdom in order to live righteously, to be a godly friend. And praise God, we have the word of God to correct us, to teach us how to be more godly. We have our pastors, our ministry leaders, our small group leaders, godly parents, godly friends, godly influences in our life to help us, to make us more like Christ. Make use of those godly relationships. Listen to that wise counsel. If you have a question about something, ask your wise counsel. Ask your small group leader, hey, is this sin? Hey, I notice that I'm doing this. Is this a wrong thing? Should I think more about this? Take that correction. Take that wisdom. Be teachable. Be humble. Because the goal of our friendships is not to look good. It's not just to be liked by people or to feel like you belong. That's not what friendship is all about. Friendship by God's standards is supposed to make you more holy. Friendship, the goal of friendship is to be holy. And God cares about our friendship. He cares about the people that we hang out with. And so should we. We should take careful consideration about who you associate with, what kind of friend you are. And so we're going to talk about that in small groups tonight. So let's commit to being a godly friend. Let's commit to being a godly friend. And we'll talk through some of those ways that we can do that tonight. Let's go ahead and pray. God, I thank you so much for this time with our ladies. Thank you for your word that teaches us exactly what we need to hear. God, we know that we fall short. We know that we need your word to teach us, to lead us. And so, God, I just pray that you would please help these girls to be teachable, that you'd help them to see the ways that they need to be a godly friend, that they need to associate with godly friends. I pray that you would help them in being more godly. Lord, that they would find these things that they need to apply and apply them, that tonight would be the start of real godly friendships, that tonight they would seek to glorify you, God. I thank you so much for your word. I thank you so much for our small group leaders and just the wisdom that you give us in your word and through your people too, Lord, that we get to learn from these things and to grow as believers. And so, God, I just pray that you would please help our friendships to honor you, that we would be the friend that you want us to be, that we would care more about what your word says about friendship rather than what the world says about friendship, Lord. Just pray and ask that tonight there would be real fruit, real change, real differences in our friendships, in our relationships. God, and I pray that you would be glorified in all that happens tonight. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. You guys are dismissed to your small groups.